0: Benny. Um, as Josh said, we are one church family, so it's great to have high schoolers here with us as well. Um, the high schoolers let me test drive this sermon on Friday night. And so uh, if you're a high schooler here this morning, I'd love you to come and tell me afterwards something that was different. <laughs> Hopefully there's a couple of things. Um, Friends, it's great to to have you with us this morning. If you're new or visiting, my name's Ben Gray. I'm the minister of the church. And uh, I'd love to to say hi at the end of church this morning. Uh, If what you hear this morning uh, makes you want more, if you want to explore more the person of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, uh, the essential Jesus is the Gospel of Luke, just in a, a, a smaller form. And you can find that on the table up the back. And if the story of the lost son, what we have historically known as the prodigal son, uh, is something that you'd like to think further about, this book called The Prodigal God, there's a couple of copies of that on the table up the back, worth reading, definitely worth reading and then giving to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. So there's two resources for you. Let's pray and then we'll look at Luke 15 together. Our Father, last week Jesus said to us, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And so we pray that you would give us those ears that would not only hear your word aright, but that we would hear and understand and be changed forever because of it. Help us all to leave here this morning knowing your wonderful grace and kindness and you're rescuing love in Jesus. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, I grew up in the Blue Mountains, and, uh, which I took for granted and now really appreciate. Um, and on any typical Blue Mountains weekend, there was an inevitable sound that would come late in the afternoon. Uh, maybe it's winter and you know it's going to be cold overnight, the light's starting to fade. You're standing in the backyard, and usually all you can hear is a few bird noises and maybe a distant lawnmower. And then you hear... (coughs) The high schoolers didn't know what that was on Friday night. That was the Westpac rescue chopper coming to find a lost bushwalker. Maybe a school group with an overzealous outdoor ed teacher, uh, something like that. And for those walkers lost in the bush in the mountains, seeing the Westpac rescue chopper is a sign of great joy, isn't it? It's the moment of rescue. It's the moment to stop playing hide and seek, to make yourself known and to accept the rescue that comes from that chopper. It would be silly, wouldn't it, to arrogantly defy the rescue attempt? To think, actually, my sense of direction is pretty good. I'm going to get myself out of this. That can be a fatal mistake. The, The arrival of a helicopter late on a Saturday afternoon says, this is serious. Now's the moment of rescue. Now's the moment to be receiving the rescue from the hands of those helicopter pilots. Everything about the helicopter screams rescue. The colours, the red and the yellow, the winch, the equipment they have on board, the skills of the guys who are flying it and who are going to drop down the basket for you to climb into. Everything about that helicopter says rescue, rescue, rescue. And in Luke 15, we have this morning Jesus saying that everything about him is meant to scream to the world, rescue, rescue, rescue. That's what he was trying to say to those in front of his face 2,000 years ago. That's what he's trying to say to us sitting here this morning. Rescue, rescue, rescue. Everything about Jesus screams rescue from who he is and what he does, from the words he speaks and the people he hangs out with which is part of the problem in Luke 15. The reason that Jesus is walking to Jerusalem to be tried and beaten, to be mocked and humiliated, to be executed on a Roman cross, the reason Jesus is walking to his death is because of rescue, rescue, rescue for lost and wayward sinners in the world like you and like me. And so like a bushwalker lost in the mountains, don't play hide and seek with Jesus. And don't wave him away to arrogantly claim that you can handle this with your own sense of moral direction or religious capabilities. Because as Jesus speaks of his rescue mission in this world and who needs his salvation, the unavoidable answer, if you look at Jesus for who he is and what he says and what he does, the unavoidable conclusion is that who needs salvation, who needs his rescue? Everyone in this room, everyone in this world, everyone you know and everyone you don't know. Jesus makes that point here in chapter 15 with three short stories that have a very clear and pointed meaning. There's the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the two lost sons. God is the main character, and it's his attitude and it's his actions that are at the focus of Jesus' teaching. And God's attitude and actions in the world are wrapped up in the person of Jesus. You want to see God's attitude towards the world? You want to see what God's action is for people in the world? You look at Jesus who is God in the flesh, here to rescue lost sinners who are valuable to Him, here to rescue lost sinners who are the loving focus of His gracious affection and His saving attention. Well, it starts in chapter 15, verse 1.
1: Uh, Verses 1 and 2 tell
0: us it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are muttering about the company Jesus keeps because Jesus was notorious for hanging out with the rich scumbags and the poor outcasts. And many of the respectable middle class, the religious people, they just didn't get it and they certainly didn't like it. They found it unsavoury at best because Jesus wasn't just hanging around with these rich scumbags and poor outcasts. He was actually friends with them. And apart from the fact that they didn't see themselves as lost sinners who needed Jesus, Jesus says to these religious leaders, this respectable middle class, that not only have they missed the point of why he was in the world, they have missed the point of life itself. When the same question gets asked of Jesus in chapter 5, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick... I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In chapter 19, he says the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus came for the spiritually sick, for the wayward sinner, for the eternally lost. He came for them because he loves them. God seeks out deliberately lost and broken sinners because he graciously and eternally loves them. And the joy and the celebration of being found by Jesus can't be missed in the repetition in this chapter. As Ben read it, did you hear the repetition? Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice is God's attitude, is the response of heaven when lost and wayward sinners are found by Jesus. We have to celebrate. That's God's attitude. When every individual person turns back to him, we have to celebrate. And my prayer is today that even today, some party poppers might let rip in heaven as people are found by Jesus. That's the whole point of Luke 15 and the weight of Jesus telling these stories together in this context. The weight of it all is that if a shepherd is like this, if a woman is like this, if a father is like this, then how much more is God like this? Let's look at the first story Jesus tells in verses 3 to 7, the parable of the lost sheep. We see the priority of Jesus rescuing love. Have a look at verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his back, on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over one, over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's not some daft inefficiency for a shepherd to go after a lost sheep. It makes total sense in Jesus' mind and in the mind of his hearers. It makes total sense because he cares for the sheep, he's committed to the sheep. A lost sheep is an important and a valuable sheep. And it makes total sense that he'd go and find it and bring it home. A lost person is an important and a valuable person in the eyes of Jesus. No matter their social standing, no matter their bank balance, no matter their past, no matter their present... A lost person is a valuable person in the eyes of Jesus. It's totally logical that he would therefore go after lost sinners. That's who he is, the rescuing shepherd who loves his sheep. That's his priority, the finding of those who are lost and wayward, who are wandering and vulnerable. And what gives Jesus more joy than anything? To throw away with sinner on his shoulders and bring them home rejoicing. On Friday night, the youth were waiting for me to throw lollies at them. That's what I did on Friday night, was to, to throw a bunch of lollies at our teenagers. And I would have done it this morning, except I ate them all yesterday. Um... And the point of me throwing out the lollies was to say that Jesus' rescue mission, his salvation, isn't some indiscriminate thing. He doesn't come with a bag full of salvation and just pour it out on whoever he might hit. Jesus isn't here looking at a faceless crowd saying, I'm here to rescue some of you, but I don't know who. He's here for individual people. He knows you. He loves you because you're you, not because you're a face in a church crowd. And his rescuing gracious love, his seeking and saving love is directed towards you personally. Knowing your circumstances, knowing your sins, knowing your love, your your life, your thoughts, your Your desires. He knows what you need rescuing from, and that's why he's here. He doesn't celebrate faceless figures or stats on a government website. He celebrates people. His joy is for people, known and loved sinners who need his forgiveness and his freedom who need peace with God and the hope of heaven and his joy, his utter joy is to deliver that to you. I wonder if you know that to be true today. I wonder if heaven has rejoiced at your acceptance of Jesus' love and his mission to rescue you from sin and death for all eternity. Keep thinking about that this morning. Jesus continues to make the same point in verses 8 to 10 with a woman who loses a coin, a day's wage. She diligently and intently searches for it. That's Jesus' priority and that's how he goes about it. His intense longing, his her undistracted mission to find lost sinners like this woman finds her lost coin and he won't be distracted from it have a look at verse 8 Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one doesn't she light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it and when she finds it she calls her friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God's rescuing love will not give up. It isn't half-hearted and it will shine into every nook and cranny of the world until he's found all who belong to him. And the extent and the extravagance of Jesus' rescuing love, I think, is given its sharpest edge, its most pointed meaning when we get to the parable of the lost sons. There's a shift here where we're talking about people. And unlike the lost sheep and unlike the lost coin, These two lost sons are actually responsible for their lostness. They're responsible for their own relationship with their father, just as we're responsible for our own relationship with God. They need to own up. They need to come home. They need to repent and turn around, just as each of us need to do the same. And if you're into defacing Bibles, you could deface your Bible and write an S at the end of the heading, the parable of the lost son, because Jesus has clearly two sons in mind. That's why he tells the story like he does. And the point to the religious leaders and the Pharisees who are listening to this is that Jesus wants them to know they're just as lost as any sinner or any tax collector. And that they too, the morally sensitive, the religiously upright, they too need to come to their senses and come home. This story of the lost sons totally challenged the way we think about sin and salvation and totally challenged the way we think about God and His love for us. Have a look at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. It's a blatant and rebellious son who straight up asked for his inheritance, totally impatient for his father's death. My life would be better if you weren't here. Life would be so much easier if I was in charge and could do with your stuff whatever I wanted, is his attitude to his father. And amazingly and graciously, and because of love, the father says, Okay. This illustration missed the teenagers on Friday night, but did you ever see that Simpsons episode? The what? That Simpsons episode where Lisa Simpson hangs out with Ralph the Nosepicker and they're on national television when Ralph declares his love for Lisa and says he's going to marry her and she says no on live TV, I don't like you. And later on, in typical brotherly fashion, Barch with remote in hand, says to her, look, you can pinpoint the exact moment that you broke his heart. Well, I wonder if you had a remote in your hand and this story's unfolding, if you could pause and pinpoint the exact moment that this son becomes lost. Where does his lostness happen? Far from home? prostitutes and parties or is it later in the story when he's with pigs broken hungry where does his lostness begin you'll be pleased to know the teenagers nailed it on friday night he's lost from the very beginning He's lost from the very beginning before he's opened his mouth before he's walked out the door he's already lost because no doubt that attitude that says I wish you were dead I want your stuff and I don't want you that attitude was festering in his life long before his mouth gave it expression before he's walked out the door Before he said anything to his father, he's totally lost because of the attitude of his heart that says to the father, I want your stuff and I don't want you. The point of the story is about the relationship the sons have with their father. And the relationship is fractured, it is disconnected, it's unhealthy and broken right from the start. Because the attitude of heart and mind that says, I want your stuff, I just don't want you. That's the very heart of our sin, isn't it? Some of us have never known wild parties and reckless living. Some of us maybe don't wear our sins on our sleeve like others. But all of us by nature and by choice have demonstrated in one way or another that attitude that says to God, we think life would be better if we were in charge we'll take your stuff, can you just leave us alone? We live in God's world. He gives us food and fun and friendship. He gives us life and love and laughter. And we tell him to shove off. We do it with a high fist sometimes and other times we just live pretending like he doesn't exist. Some of us this morning, we know we are lost like the second son. We know we are lost because of our reckless actions, because of the guilt that we carry around. We wear our sin on our sleeves, knowing our past mistakes and our very recent regrets. But others of us are much more like the older brother who stays home. He's meant to represent the religious leaders, the Pharisee in Jesus' day. And a big point of Jesus telling this story to the people in front of him is that you can just be just as relationally lost from God if you think what he wants is dutiful compliance. Why don't you skip down to verse 25 and look at the older son with me. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, the older son had exactly the same attitude. He was just biding his time. He was just more patient for his father's death. But he was still just hanging out for the father's stuff. And despising the relationship with the father himself. The way he addresses his father so disrespectfully, look you. The way he distances himself from his brother, this son of yours. It shows that he is already relationally disconnected just as much as his younger brother. He might be morally upright and sensitive, he might be a dutiful servant, but he saw his relationship with his father as a job that gets him a reward. He saw his goal as compliance. The father says, Here is safety, here is provision, here is freedom, and all the son hears is obligation and constraint and duty. Father pleads with him, really, to enjoy the relationship, to come inside and sit down at the table to be a reunited family, to enjoy each other again. So for the religiously upright and the morally sensitive in Jesus' midst and in our midst, he wants us to see that lostness can look really obvious and reckless, But lostness can also look like approaching God in a way that says, I've fulfilled the legal obligations of our arrangement, now give me my reward. Both sons are lost. They both miss the generous and loving care of the father. They've both wanted life with the father's stuff, but without him himself. They've missed the point of life altogether. The difference is, only one son comes to his senses. And the challenge for you and me is not whether or not we're lost. Jesus' answer is, yes, you are. The challenge for you and me is, will we, like the younger son, come to our senses and come home or obstinately stand outside like the older son and demand a reward that God will never give you. Have a look at verse 17. When the younger son came to his senses he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father.
1: Now, repentance
0: might sound like a really religious word, but here we have it embodied in this son. Repentance is about coming to your senses. He acknowledges his wrongdoing, He turns around and goes home. And that's what Jesus wants from you and from me. To change your mind about God and the attitude of your heart, then to change the direction of your life and live your life towards Jesus and close to him, not away. And outside. We see that nothing gives Jesus more joy than welcoming home lost and wayward sinners. We see it in the description of the father, the one who sacrificially and graciously gave his son the inheritance. The financial cost for the father was significant. The social disgrace was humiliating and yet with searching eyes and costly love, we read in verse 20, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's beautiful, isn't it, that when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. While he was still a long way off, the Father's searching and gracious and persistent and loving eye was fixed on him. And that when he comes home, there's no purgatory where he has to pay off the debt. There's no trial period to see if he's serious enough. There's no, you make it up to me and then we'll talk. It's total forgiveness, it's total reconciliation all at the father's expense. The cost of his social standing, the material cost of the loss of his property. He says, put a robe on him so that everyone knows he has every right of a son. Make sure it's my robe that they know it's my son. He belongs to me and his home. And that extraordinary line in verse 24 reminds us that to be separated from God relationally, no matter how lavish your life or how struggling your life, separated from God relationally is a living death. This son of mine was dead. And it's only in coming home to the Father that he's made alive again, relationally. Jesus came to seek and to save wayward and lost sinners, bearing the cost of that salvation in himself, absorbing the shame, taking the guilt, Removing the punishment. And his call to each of us, the wild and the rebellious, as well as the religious and the moral. His call to each of us is to come to our senses. To acknowledge our need. To quit playing hide and seek. To quit waving Jesus away. And to instead accept his rescuing love and come inside and join the party forever. Let me pray that we do that this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you once again. For your amazing love for us in Jesus, a love that is costly, a love that is searching, a love that is persistent, a love that is gracious. May each of us see our need this morning, our need for your forgiveness, our need for Jesus' rescue. Help us to come to our senses, to turn around, and to come home to you because of your love. Amen.